to be a part of the messages of your word. And we're just a, a small medium. A medium that presents the message of Jesus Christ. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. We go through troubles, we go through persecutions, we go through trials. We always receive positive feedback for more lay participation that we have. Many of you are thankful for our music, for our faithfulness to scripture, for our faithfulness to the word, that it's just not a personality, a, a, a minister or a leader, but there's a variety of involvements. And we do this by the willingness of the participants that read scripture, that have solos, and, and during the Advent season, the lighting of the Advent wreath, which is a family event. Some choose to use the upper room, others choose to share their personal testimonies and what Advent with means to them. And they are led of the Spirit. And we give this service over to you, O Lord, and we pray for the needs of those by way of television. Though not being with us, they are with us in spirit and in prayer. We give this service over to you for all that United Methodist Church is a place to belong, to believe, and to become. And we gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, members of God's family, brothers and sisters to one another. There are no outsiders here among us. No one has any special standing or bragging rights. For we have been brought together by the redeeming love of Jesus. So let's join together in worship. We're glad that those by way of television, those who are present here, and we hope that you will experience God's presence in our midst in a very personal and a very powerful way. We pray now that as Curtis Joe and Jeannie Winterode make their way to the lighting of the Advent wreath, that we walk, welcome them in the spirit of Christ. Come now, in Jesus' name, amen. And Curtis Joe and Jeannie, as you come, grateful for your willingness to be a part of the lighting of the Advent wreath and, and Boone and Judy are going to do it next week I understand <laughs> be, be easy on the survey and we um, also want to um, let you know that Christmas Eve service is at the 315 hour on Christmas Eve we'll get you in here and we'll get you out before um, those who may not church worshipers start to um, maybe hit the alcohol, but that is an open day if somebody would like to um, say yes to Christmas Eve. That's 3.15 on Christmas Eve if you want to um, Jeannie and Joe and Curtis. attention to God and to remember that Advent means coming. The Advent wreath is a wonderful reminder that God is with us. The candles on the wreath represent hope, peace, joy, and love. This third Sunday in Advent is joy. Joy experienced Will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. And the one sign he will be 
Mike, would you come and be in a position to share? Um, Jeannie, that was a favorite portion of mine, Sue and Joe. And, and I'd oftentimes, you've done this for I don't know how many consecutive years, but I'd look out over the congregation and I'd spot Vern, and Vern was always so proud of um, Jeannie and Joe, and, and he'd wear that leather vest, and I, I would think that he'd just about ready to pop those buttons off of it. And I know that, you know, you have children that serve the Lord and that are in church, and there's no greater joy, no greater peace, no greater love and hope when you have your children in church and you know they are eternally sec secure in Christ. Let's turn to the Lord's Prayer. Father, as we turn to your prayer, we are grateful for the men and women, boys and girls that are serving Jesus. We thank you for... Curtis Joe and Jeannie and, and the Winter Oak family. We, we pray your continual hand of healing on, on Joe as he's hearing good news and news about prostate cancer. And I, I thank you, Father, for the prayer warriors that are praying for Joe and Jeannie and the Winter Oak family. We thank you for the wonderful memories we have of Jeannie's father, Vern, and we pray your comforting hand upon Janet. And we, we pray for others by way of television. We thank you, Father, that Rabbi is at, you know, is at home and present with the Lord. And we thank you for, for being with that family. And as we prepare for the service on the 5th of January, we pray that you, your hand would be continuing on us. Guide us and direct us, Lord, and supply us. We are all called to be members of the body of Christ. We can't all be at the Bible study. We can't all be in the pulpit. We can't all be answering the phones and doing all things at one time. But we're called to be a body. And as individual members of the body, we do what we can do specifically. We pray that your hand of blessing would be continual on Ira in our Sunday school class. We pray for our 
Wednesday Zoom class at six has been taken care of. Um, and we thank you for all the staff that's taking care of our, our service by way of television. Now we pray your blessings as we pray the prayer that you have taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're viewing by way of television, um, Kurt's going to be sharing from John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. That's John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. And if you're here at All of It United Methodist Church, we have um, chosen to print out that scripture. And if you want to not only follow along with that scripture, you'll find prior in the following words of Jesus that you can take home and you can study what was the pretext, the context, the, the aftertext of, of the words of Jesus in this particular passage of scripture. Greetings, and I think I can say Merry Christmas. Is that better? <laughs> uh, this is the testimony of John the Baptist, the strongest man in the universe, and uh, I'm studying the year 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews came to ask him in the garden on the third Sunday, asked him, Who are you? did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him then, who are you? Let us have an answer for that. He sent us, what do you say about yourself? Verse 19, we immediately saw secondly of Kurt's biography or concern about the movable Messiah that John the Baptist has studied and confessed. It says that Christ has said to his disciples, whoever doesn't quarrel with me about any other person should between them hand them over their those who sent them. 
what you say about yourself is honored by the devout hesitation and the voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just as the prophet Isaiah said. This is a direct reference to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. I should think this answer was kind of a form of uh, invitation for them to see what he's talking about because in the Old Testament, person you are searching for, maybe you should find him. Since they were sent there by authority, by the authority of the church, the local church, to see what authority was baptizing them, and if it wasn't Christ, Elijah, or the prophet, again, John delivered the perfect answer. He told them that I only baptize the water. there is one among you that's baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was in the eyes of those crowds. He heard all of what's going on between the church hierarchy and, and John the Baptist. And the fact, fact that said to reflecting John, they were too proud to leave their question alone. See, everything they, they did had to be public so everybody could see how holy they were perfect they were, whether it be their, their dress, the plans that they took to love one another. They just wanted everything to be accepted. That's why they questioned John in the first place. In verse 27, he said, even he comes after me, the thong whose sandal I am not unworthy, I am unworthy to untie. This statement shows complete, utter, and total humility towards Jesus. Because the person's job to untie the sandals of the master of the house was the lowest servant. John is actually putting himself below that level. I'm not even up to the, the lowest servant level compared to Jesus Christ. The final verse mentions where the Sadducees question took place. John was speaking in or around a town named Bethabara. And we have still this question about where exactly that took place, but that's where John was. Thank you. God bless you. And you all have a Merry Thanksgiving. And as you notice, um, when being introduced with this scripture in the Bibles, it's um, the testimony, the testimony of him, John the Baptist. You all have testimonies of how you found Christ, how you have developed your deeper walk in Christ. And it's important for you to share that because that's the good news of Christ operating in you and through you. And every Sunday before I come to the pulpit, I, in a time in prayer, I want my mind to be totally cleared of anything of the world. I have a kind of approach to the altar, and I, I pray with passage of Scripture. You know, Mighty Counselor, um, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I actually expand on it and the expansion of it is, is Mighty Counselor, Comforter, Consoler, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I, I pray that, that the grace of God that works in and through me may be gracious unto you. I oftentimes pray that, that you are totally erased of all problems that would interfere with the transmission of God's Holy Spirit in you and through you. I know many ministers, they, they refuse to even allow their office door to be opened before they come from their office to their pulpit because they don't want to 
We don't want to face any distraction that could lead them to a detour of, of Satan rather than direct, directly to the anointing in the pulpit. Here in this scripture, you find a, a number of things that are under operation. And there's biopsies going on in scripture of your mind, your body, your soul, and spirit. Yes, Satan can come into our sanctuary, can try to get us detoured from the word of God. And we're fortunate to be able to have a smorgasbord of many opportunities. We have a Sunday school class here. We have a Wednesday night Bible study that many churches around have. We have many opportunities of growth and development and just bringing things to the upper room of the daily bread. Today, as we examine the surgeons of God's word, I want you to pay particular attention to the instructive example of true humility. True humility. Secondly, I, I want you to um, not only observe the concept of true humility here we find in Scripture, but, but the mournful, just the mournful example of the blindness of the unconverted person. And then I'd like you to um, be aware of your own spiritual walk and ask yourself the question, um, are you ready? Are you really ready for Advent? Are you really ready for the Christian walk? Now, it's been a long time since I had a couple that were looking so forward to heaven. They talked about going to heaven almost each and every day. And that was Rabbi. And they keep preparing for his touch on his legacy on, on January 5th. And, and I, every day I've been exploring opportunities of things that I want to say. I, many of you who know me, you, you realize that I'm really not at, at a loss of words because if, if you want to try to utilize the time that God has given us, very specifically. We want to zero in on the target. And what is the, the actual center of a target, Paul? Bullseye or the fringe? The center of the target is the fringe. And you and I, we need to target that, that centeredness, that core of our lives, that, that the sin, that bullseye. As we um, deal with this scripture specifically, it's, it's kind of a scripture that's been avoided by a lot of clergy, and I, I kind of wonder why, because I, I, um, I love this scripture. I love all scripture, and, and I, I was one. I remember my fourth grade teacher, um, Mrs. Waldall, saying, um, if you come and you're reading a book or you're reading something and you don't quite understand it, don't skip it. Because that might be just the thing, just the word that God wants to give to you. Thoughts skipping on words, skipping on scriptures, and not realizing what you really read. And how many times have you and I read something and we ask ourselves, what was that all about? And God was trying to speak to you. Now, the verses we have now read begun with the properly historical part of St. John's Gospel. I believe that Jesus wanted this scripture to be read this particular time of year because John was the preparer, the preparer for the coming of Jesus. Hitherto, we have been reading deep and weighty statements about Christ's divine nature. We studied in the weeks prior about Christ's divine nature, and we talked about the incarnation and the dignity of Christ, and many of you appreciated that fact. Now we come, now we come to the plain narrative of the days of Christ's earthly ministry, and, and the plain story of Christ's doings and sayings among 
here, as in the other gospel writers, St. John begins, say it with me, begins at once with a record. It's a record or testimony. What is your testimony? It's a testimony here in Scripture of John the Baptist. It's also found in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. It's also found in Mark 1, chapter 2. And it's also found in Luke chapter chapter 3, verse 2. We have, for our instruction, for one thing in these verses, an instructive example of true humility. True humility. himself. John the Baptist was an eminence. He was an eminent saint of God. There, there are few names which stand higher th than John the Baptist in the Bible, the calendar of the great and the faithful men and women. The Lord Jesus himself declared that John, John in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, easy, quick to remember, 11, 11, that among them that are born of woman, Jesus said, there declares this, there is not risen a greater one born than John the Baptist. The Lord Jesus Christ himself declared that, that John the Baptist was a brilliant Yet here in, in this passage of scripture, we see this eminent saint, this John the Baptist, very lowly, very self-abased, and full of humility. John the Baptist puts away from himself the honor which the Jews from Jerusalem were, were ready to pay him. John the Baptist declines all flattering titles. John the Baptist speaks of himself as nothing more than a voice. A voice of one crying in the wilderness and as one who baptized with water. John the Baptist proclaims loudly that there is one that's standing among the Jews far greater than himself, one whose shoes blacket he's not worthy to unloose. John the Baptist claims honor not for himself, but for Christ. He was constantly saying, I must decrease so that Christ may increase. He claims no honor not for himself, but for Christ. To exalt Christ was John the Baptist's mission in life. As you examine your life and your mission, would you say, as John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that Christ may increase? And to that mission, he steadfastly adhered to. Now, the greatest saints of God in every age of the church have always been men and women, John the Baptist, stature and spirit and gift and knowledge and general character. They have often differed in their gifts and their graces and writings. But in one respect, they have always been alike, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. They have been clothed with humility. I could go on with a series of sermons for the next five years on what clothed with humility means. First Peter chapter 5, 5. They have not sought their own honor. They have thought little of themselves. They have been more willing to decrease so that Christ might increase, to be nothingness so that Christ may be all. And here 
has been the secret of the honor that God has given them and God has put upon them. Luke chapter 14, verse 11 reminds us, the one that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, if you and I, as we profess to have any real, real Christianity, let us strive to be a John the Baptist spirit. Let us study this attitude and behavior because our attitude oftentimes determines our behavior, which determines our aptitude, which determines our altitude in how we are receptive in society. Let us study humility. This is the grace which which all must begin with if we would be saved. We have no true religion about us until we cast away our high thoughts and and feel ourselves as sinners. Sinners who need a grace. For by grace we are saved through faith in Christ, not of works lest any should boast. And this is the grace which all saints have may follow after and which none have any excuse for neglecting. All God's children have not gifts or money or time or, or work or a wide sphere of usefulness, but, but all may be humble. All may be humble. And this is a grace, above all, which will appear most beautiful in our latter end. And many of us, as we view our lives as a yardstick, we're getting to the end of that yardstick, end of our lives. And this is the grace, above all, which will appear most beautiful in our latter end. Many of us are not in the spring, as many of us are, but in the winter, the winter of our lives. Never shall we feel the need of humility so deeply as when we lie in our deathbed and we stand before the judgment, the judgment of Christ. Then we who are obedient and faithful unto Christ, our whole lives will, will then appear as a catalog of all of our imperfections, ourselves, ourselves alone, nothing more. We exist outside of the judgment seat of Christ. And we have another thing in these verses. It's a, it's a very mournful example of the blind man, of the unconverted that example is supplied by the state of the Jews. The Jews, the congregation of John the Baptist who came to visit John the Baptist. Now these Jews in congregations, also Gentiles, non-Jews, profess to be waiting for the appearance profess to be waiting for the appearance of the Messiah. Much like you and I profess to be looking forward to the appearance of the Messiah and the second advent. And like all the Pharisees, they, they prided themselves, prided themselves in being children of Abraham and, and possessors of the covenant, the old covenant, followers of Moses. They, they rested in the law and they made their boast of the law. They profess to know God's will and to believe all God's promises. That was a profession, profession. And they were confident that they themselves were the guides. They themselves were the guides of the blind and they themselves were the light for them that sat chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. And yet, yet, and yet, as this very 
sense of their souls, they they were utterly in the dark. There was, John the Baptist has said to them, told them, they know not who they are embarking on. Christ himself, the promised Messiah, was in the midst of them. And yet they neither saw the Messiah they neither saw John the Baptist who brought as a spokesman of deliverance the baptism of repentance the message of repentance they neither acknowledged him nor nor neither did they believe in him and worse than this the, the majority of them never would know him The words of John the Baptist are a prophetic, a very prophetic description of the of the world that you and I live in, which was similar to the world that Jesus lived in and ministered to for his three years from the age of thirty to thirty three. The whole of Christ's highly ministry, Christ is said emphasized his creation the word of God says he stood he stood among the Jews and and the Jews knew him not and the greater part of them I fear died in their sins in in a solemn thought that John the Baptist's words in place applied strictly to thousands in the present day these words exist in in and still standing among many who neither see nor want to believe. They're among the frozen chosen. Christ is passing by in many a parish, many a congregation, and, and the vast majority have neither an eye to see him nor an ear to hear him. Money, pleasure, and the world they know, but they truly know Christ. The kingdom of God is close, is so close to them, but they sleep, they slumber. Salvation is within their reach, but they, they sleep. Mercy, grace, peace, heaven, eternal life are so nigh that they yet they sleep. Christ standeth among them and they know Christ not. These are very sorrowful thoughts to contemplate and to write down, but, but every faithful minister and every faithful lay leader and lay person of Christ can testify like John the Baptist that, that these words are true. These words are holy. These words, you can trust them. These words you can rely on. But still they want to lean onto their own understanding. Trusting in themselves more than trusting in the word. And what, in closing, what are we doing ourselves? Those of you, by the way, of television and radio, YouTube and Facebook and iPods and the wondrous gospel good news what are we doing ourselves this after all is the great question that should concern you and I do we know the extent of our religious privileges in in this country and and in the times that are being challenged wake up church are we aware that Christ is going to and fro in our our land, our country, inviting souls to join him and to be his disciples? Do we know that the time is short and that the door of mercy will soon be closed for every 
of men. Do we know that Christ rejected will be Christ withdrawn? And happier those who can give a good account of these inquiries and who, according to Luke 29:44, they know. They know of the visitation of the Lord. And they know the day of their visitation. It will be better at the last day never to have been born than to have had Christ standing amongst us and not to have learned him. Father God, with every, every eye closed and every head bowed and Christians in prayer, we need to examine our own hearts and our own lives, our own ledger own checklist and see that we what we've invested our time and our talents and our our treasures in tough words hurt so friends an award-winning author wrote tough words hurt we struggle with how to respond to criticism we've received to examine the convictions of our heart when the Holy Spirit stirs among us. Finally, we need to ask ourselves, have we, have we decided to see what scripture, which was the best advice of all, has to say about how to react to strong criticism? The Apostle Paul counsels us to live in harmony with one another, Romans 12. 16, an, an entire chapter of Proverbs, however, offers extended wisdom on reacting to dispute. A gentle answer turns away wrath, says Proverbs 15.1, and the one who is patient calms a quarrel, verse 18, and also the, the one who heeds correction gains understanding, verse 32. In considering such wisdom, may God help us hold our tongues and more than all, however, wisdom instructs us to fear the Lord because humility comes. Humility comes before honor in verse 33. Dear God, when criticism or conviction strikes or a dispute hurts, help us to guard our tongues in humble, humble honor of you. Help us to truly be prepared this Advent season. For are we ready with every head bowed and every eye closed just by way of our forms of communication rededicate our lives and our hearts, our souls and our spirits by praying this prayer. Our Father, we are sinners saved by your grace. Empower us, O oh Lord, to be led of your spirit, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. We thank you for your love, for the season. Help us to act on our confession. We do. Our professions of faith word in our hearts and our lives and help us to be more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. We return to our offertory prayer. We do not ask the offering plate. start circulate the cards, although we have a number of cards that we want to send out to loved ones. Um, talked with Lee this past week and had her on the phone helping to make it much better, but he still um, needs prayer. And other prayer warriors that are watching by way of television, we have cards. We want to make sure those cards are being sent out. 
want to sign the card if you're in safety and if the back is safety in safety five foot combinations and you want to respond to those things and and help you both with both with her and be subject to you and Lee misses the church said it was worth the drive all the way from Big Falls for me to reach the car. Join me in the offertory prayer. God of love and life, just as John the Baptist came long ago in Judea to witness to your life, we remember that the offering we seek is that what we have and how we live should also witness to the life. We admit that there are times when we feel the darkness is just too prevalent, too strong. Then we realize that we are ignoring the call to witness to the light. May we witness through our giving and our compassion, through what we say and what we do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand now with me for the doxology? the right reverend pastor George Groves with us and I'm wondering if he's willing to dismiss us in a word of prayer all the way from Wisconsin yeah he might Pastor George is there. I want to extend my hand, and I'm hoping he will too, and, and agree with continuous healing for Shar's wife. Would you join me? Father God, we extend our hands of healing upon this gentle, humble, retired minister and his wife, this great psychologist and marriage therapist. Raise your hand of healing and encouragement. Bless this family of and all the eight children this holiday season as he tries to make inroads to their spiritual lives. Continue to bless them with health and healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. Any announcements that we need to make? <coughs> Anybody, anybody want to respond to that?
Um, as far as I know, I've been talking to her once or twice a day, and that, as many of you realize, if you're on the prayer chain, we, um, my mother at, at the nursing home was tested positive with um, COVID-19. And um, there's like 20-some, right, almost 30 residents that have COVID-19. And um, about a dozen of the staff have COVID. Um, my mom, you know, is, you know, never drank, never smoked. She just really takes good care of herself. She can't see, having hearing difficulties, and very underweight. So, and that's you know in her favor. So I'll kind of bring you up to date. I didn't talk with her this morning, but she, I, I think she understands what's going on. So, you know. Um, one thing about Clarissa Care Center, I know just about all the residents because all the residents from my hometown end up at that place. And all of the caregivers are kind of like second, third generation. You know, they know me, you know, and I was kind of their chaplain almost when I was at Staples. And they, they, they call me, they call me when they do the testing. And they're not supposed to because of the laws to let out certain names of people. But they know I pray for them, and I can't confidentially um, share names. But uh, thank you for asking. And the issue about the mass, you know, I, I, um, I vacillate on that issue. But I thought came to my mind was, um, I don't know, does anybody have any money here? You know, do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, um, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So that's a tightrope when I, I walk, is understanding Caesar's things, God's things. And Jesus said, you know, wrong. You go out and fish again. So we went fishing. We all struggle with rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and rendering unto God what's God's. And, and I've been really fortunate to be around a number of governors and Jesse Van Page, secretary, our next door neighbor, and he was radical in my mind and she was more radical. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a real tightrope when you're witnessing for Christ. People pretty much understand where I'm coming from on various issues. Thank you for your prayers. And could you give us an update on how Shell's doing? Thank you. Good. Go ahead. For the most part, she's had a good year. 